Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join our preacher for the message. So this, um, this week I, I was charged with this, the, uh, the sermon for the summer series, The Theology of the Body, and today's topic um, for the day, which you will not see on the screen because that's the kind of week it's been, um, will be the meaning of sex. And so that is, you know, we kind of just kind of pre-warned everyone out there that that's what we would be talking about today and God's design for it. Um, And just to, to go into his word and look at what God has to say about what he created. So let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, once again as we go into this topic and ask him to to bless it and bless our time in his word. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to to speak about and to share and to preach, uh, Lord, about the beautiful things that you have made, God, with your hands. And this is one of them, Father. Uh, So we pray, Lord, for your blessing over our time, the reading of your word, the receiving of it. The preaching of Father God, that in all things you might be praised and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So that verse from Genesis 4.1, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This is actually the very first time in Scripture. We're at the beginning. We're at Genesis, at the origins of all. Um, and so it's the first time that we see Actually, a husband and wife in Scripture um, having an intimate moment and creating a life. This is the first recorded moment. And it's interesting because that word that we're discussing today, S-E-X, sex, is not in the Bible in that way and isn't expressed in that way. So here it's for the first time. And although uh, we see in previous chapters before this in Genesis, a reference to it as well, which we will discuss. However, here we find that uh, we might, what we might call the heart of the matter. It says, now Adam knew Eve. Um, And it is that word uh, that says, if we stopped reading, uh, you know, if we stopped reading here, we would, if we were like just reading, hey, and Adam knew Eve, everybody would say, yeah, duh, Adam knew Eve, you know, uh, they were created at, you know, virtually the same time. Adam was created first, and Eve was taken from his side. Duh, Adam knew Eve. But it is the next part that tells you what that knew meant. Because it says, and she conceived and bore Cain. So this knowing is a little bit different than just a regular know. We agree? Amen? It's a little bit different. It might be a lot different. The knowing of Eve by her husband automatically elevates man And this intimate relating above the birds, the fish, and the beasts of the field. See, God already had told the rest of creation to go out and be fruitful and multiply. We'll we'll look into that a little bit. But when he talks about man and woman, he talks about Adam knowing Eve. It's not just some animalistic exchange or procreative act. Yet man in his rebellion toward God would reduce the design of God to a mere animalistic behavior devoid of the beauty and the blessing God intended, especially for man. I feel 
like I am lowering the beauty of what God created by using this substandard three-letter word that modern man uses to describe the most intimate relationship God has created. The word sex has only been around for about 600 years. And only came into use as we know it within the last 70 to 100 years. So I pray that God's going to give us eyes to see what he has made and what he has done. Not what man has made of what God had made and what man has perverted. In the scripture, last week, Pastor Bernie was talking about the differences between men and women, right? And so let's turn to Genesis 2, chapter 7 and verse 22. And we'll kind of reread and talk a little about that a little bit as we get into the sermon today. And just kind of recap that. And just to tell you, that word, uh, sex, actually came from uh, the Latin word sexus, which was just for basically determining male and female, for making distinction, for separating one from the other. And that's basically what the Lord does at the very beginning. In Genesis uh, 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord formed, and that word formed is squeezed into shape, like almost like, you know, out of, the, out of the dust of the earth, he squeezed him into shape, the man, of the, du- uh, the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And then verse 22, and the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made or he built into a woman and brought her to the man. Genesis 1.27 also says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and male and female. He created them. So think about this for a second. When we talk about God's creation and the beauty of what he has made and the creatures and all the living things, we talk about our eyes, how magnificent they are, our ears, how they hear the muscles that we have in our bodies. And we don't talk about these other parts too much, but why do these these other parts work the way that they work, the parts that he created for us for intimacy, because he fashioned them that way. Just like it says he made the woman, he he made her different than the man. He fashioned them for this purpose, for the purpose of their procreation. Um, He decided... Who would go, what the female would look like, what the male would look like. God made all those decisions. He made us male and female. He decided where all the nerve endings would be and which areas of our bodies would get less nerve endings and which areas would get more. And this sounds maybe kind of scientific, but I'm just trying to say God made us the way that he did with intention and with purpose and for good because he called it good. He created the reproductive parts of our bodies this way so we would accomplish his purpose. I mean, think about the reality that this act of intimacy, this knowing is pleasurable. If God had made it non-pleasurable, we would not have done what he wanted, which was to go and fill the earth and be fruitful and multiply. So God created us, created our bodies, you know, uh, the way that he designed and the way that he desired to achieve his purposes. We've been talking about the body and the necessities that we have, physically, health-wise, so forth and so on. 
We talked about the differences between men and women and how God created male and female and not multiple genders and not multiple sexes. There's only two, male and female. And then God did something beautiful at that moment. He created them shameless. Though for, it only lasted for a little while, he created them shameless. Genesis 2.25, if you turn there, Genesis 2.25, we'll be in Genesis quite a bit today, but mostly in the first three or four chapters. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Every time I read that passage, it's just, it, it's counterintuitive. It just does, it, it can't even, it really doesn't make sense in my mind that they were not ashamed. But that's how God made them. He made them shameless. Of course, something comes in to mess that all up. But he made them in that way. In Adam and Eve's disobedience, they brought shame into the situation. But when God first created man and woman, and he first created us in these male and female ways, he created us where there was no shame. I was talking to Cassie, we were kind of discussing this, and just how would I even begin to explain this, or have I ever even seen this? And the only thing that comes close is like, you know when you first have a little baby, and he's like, I don't know, between a year and two. And, you know, he rips off his diaper, and he goes running across the room. He has no clue. He has no shame. He's completely innocent, right? And we sit back, and even some of the other little kids that are older now that don't have as much who aren't as shameless anymore, <laughs> look at so, so because we've lost it. We've lost the innocence that that child has. And that's the only thing I can even, in our life experiences, the only thing I can compare it to that would even come to that place of being shameless, a child just free of any kind of shame in that way. Um, and yet here they are, and, and often people refer to this as a time of innocence with Adam and Eve. But... In Genesis 3, 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is the definition of shame from good old Noah Webster. A painful sensation excited by a consciousness of guilt for having done something which injures reputation. Or... By of that which nature or, mo or modesty prompts us to conceal. Shame is particularly excited by the disclosures of actions which, in the view of men, are mean or degrading. Hence, it is often or always manifested by a downcast, downcast look or by blushes called confusion of face. When I asked, what is shame? What, is, what does it mean that they were, they were not ashamed? Um, and it is that, that they, there was no blushing, there was no lowering of the head when they were together before sin. But after they sinned, shame entered into the world, and they knew they were exposed. Many times when I'm doing marital counseling, I kind of see this come to life in a little bit of a way, because eventually we're going to get to this talk, right? We're going to talk about, you know, Husbands being committed to their wives and wives being committed to their husbands. Husbands loving their wives like Christ and wives uh, respecting their husbands. We're going to go through all that, and then we're going to end up having this talk. And I've had the pleasure of, of marrying young couples that have grown up in our church. 
And almost every single time we get that talk, the female in the relationship starts putting her head down and feels uncomfortable. Because we're talking about something that can feel shameful now. And I've seen it because some of the young ladies that have been married in church are almost like second daughters or nieces to me. And I remember they're like, I, I remember one of them feeling, I feel like I'm standing, I'm sitting in the, at the table with my dad talking about this. So man with his sin, he brought in this aspect of shame. He, he already began to pervert that which God had made beautiful and that which God had made good. So Pre the fall, it was shameless. Pre the fall, it was beautiful. It was just as God had made it. The fall comes and it becomes shameful. They're hiding. And they're covering themselves up. One of the things I thought about is, I don't know if you've noticed this. Things that cross my mind. And you guys are really quiet today, by the way. Things that cross my mind. <laughs> we don't make up silly names for other parts of people's bodies. But this, we make up all kinds of crazy, we don't, every, we don't even want to say the real, the real words for these parts. You know, we'll call it 5,000 things, but we won't ever talk about our body parts because we feel shame. That's why. Why are we doing this? Why are we creating silly names for our body parts instead of calling them what they are? Because we feel shame. So at this point, we know this is what was brought in. This is the shame that was brought in to what God had made beautiful. So God created them shameless. God created the sexes that we have, the male and the female. And then God, God commanded reproduction. He literally commands it in John 1, 28. So when we're talking about marital intimacy, intimacy between a husband and a wife, he commanded it. In, John, in Genesis 1, 20, he says, and God blessed them. I love that. It's like this, the Heavenly Father, before he's just... And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He didn't say, if you want to, if you think about it, when you're ready. No, be fruitful. Go, do, be. That's like, be ye holy. He's telling them, go, be fruitful and multiply. God wanted good to come to them. He has this blessing for them. God gave his creation the ability to self-replicate, and he commanded them to do so. In the New Life version, which I do not read very often, but it was interesting, the way that it read, it says, give birth to many, grow in number. Give birth to many and grow in number. So children are part of the package of marriage and sex, and denying this is denying the mandate that God gave to the man and to the woman. Reproduction is proof of the unnaturalness of homosexual relations and the counterfeit nature of same-sex marriage. And I will tell you, I've had these conversations, difficult as they may be, I've told people that's counterfeit. The original is the original. Anything other than it is counterfeit. You can call it what you want to call it, but this is the original, a man and a woman coming together. That is what God made. The counterfeit is a phony. And 
the fact that there's reproduction lends itself to that as well, just in the most natural sense. God created the relation. Uh, God created a relationship for sex. So, God created sex. He created the sexes. He created it without shame. We shamed it up. But God also created the relationship for it. It's not just a free-for-all. God created a relationship for it, but it says that he blessed them even in that, right? In, Je- in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God creates us in the way that he designs, and then he creates the place and, and the relationship where he wants this activity to happen. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave in the good old King James, almost be glued to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In Hebrews 13, 4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. God created this special place for this special thing to happen. He created us especially, and he created a special relationship for it to happen, for it to achieve a special work. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7 if you want to go there. I was reading it aloud, and you know the young people in my house were tripping out on some of this passage because it's quite interesting. Now, concerning the matters which um, which you wrote, is it good for a man not to have, or is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? So here's the the topics coming up in church. By the way, the letter of First Corinthians is being read aloud in church, and it looks like this kind of church. Everybody's in there. But because of the temptation to sexual sin and immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, this is the part that gets interesting. You know, my kids are like, whoa. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And maybe the feminist would freak out right now if that was the only thing it says. But it says, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. A couple of terms to consider from this passage. Conjugal rights. Peculiar word. Most of us probably don't even know what conjugal means these days. We don't really, I, never, I don't really hear that outside of this, this passage. The word conjugal actually means to join, to bring together. Again, this is actually called, in some parts it's called due benevolence or marital duty because the word that's there, this conjugal rights, that the husband and the wife have over one another is actually like an indebtedness. It's like it's what's owed. 
So do not refuse one another, right? Do not deprive one another. And then it says this, except perhaps. Except perhaps. Except maybe. Like, do not deprive one another except, and then not just except, but except maybe. Except perhaps. You know, for some spiritual reason, right? You're going to devote yourselves to prayer. And then, hey, hey, then come back together again. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Your oneness means that you have given your bodies away to your spouse. That's why this works here and here alone. Because God calls us into oneness. The man created the woman and the man, I'm sorry, God created the woman and the man. The man shall leave his mother and father. He shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And Paul is just calling out on that and even maybe expounding it so that you understand you have been called into oneness. You have been called into that separation and so, so much so that that oneness means that your spouse's body belongs to you and your body belongs to them. And there, intimacy is safe. There, intimacy is guarded from all kinds of evil, from all kinds of evil that plague our society. Think about all the different types of evil that plague our society because we lack the ability to have self-control and to guard marriage and the intimate relationship that God created for it and keep it there. You have children growing up without dads. That creates havoc in a society, in a culture, in a community. You have innumerable diseases that plague people's bodies. And God wanted to bless us. He wanted to give us something good. But we knew better. And we took and made a shame of what he made. God created marriage and its intimacy to reflect relationship of Christ and the church. If anything, for us as believers, and, and here maybe there's some hope, you know, because, you know, some of us are coming from different backgrounds. You know, not all, all of us grew up in church. Not all of us grew up uh, believing and knowing the Lord we, ha we come from different backgrounds and different sins. And some of these very sins that, sins that we're talking about that man has been a part of perverting, we have perverted. But God has saved us and has given us an opportunity to redeem that in our lives, in marriage. And in Ephesians 5.31, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. We just read that. So he's going back to Genesis. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a reflection of the mystery of Christ and the church. Our oneness that we celebrate as husbands and wives is a picture of the love of Christ for his church and the oneness that, that he desires to experience with us even now spiritually. 
there's some common views in the world right now, and they've kind of been around for a while, some common views on this topic of sex. And here are the three most common that you run into. The first view is what we might call the appetite view. It insists that sex is much like food in that it is merely a natural appetite our bodies require. This being the case, we are free to indulge however we please. Does that sound in any way familiar in the world that we're living in today? The second is what we might call the affection view. It claims that sex is merely an expression of mutual affection, and thus feelings are the most legitimate grounds for having sex, and perhaps the only legitimate grounds at all. The third view is what we may call the fulfillment view. It claims that sex is always finding ourselves and expressing who we are. Taken to this end, it makes chastity and monogamy downright immoral, for they are expressions of self-denial instead of self-realization. And this is really kind of like where, in this one is where kind of the LGBT movement lives, where your identity becomes your sexual orientation. Like, that's who you are. Like, that's the first thing out of your mouth. I am. Like, that's not the first thing out of my mouth if you ask me who I am. Most times when you ask heterosexual people, who are you? They're not going to say, I'm heterosexual. That's not the first thing that's going to come out of their mouth. But it has so become a part of who they are and their identity that that is what comes out of their mouth. You understand what I'm saying? But the Lord didn't create it to be all that. He created it to be what he designed it for, or what he had blessed it for. These three views have some level of truth to them, and therefore they are appealing to mankind. They lack, of course, the wisdom of God and are man-centric, ignoring the design of the Creator. In all of this that we've been talking about, the theology of the body, we have been trying to uh, come to the place where we look at all these different expressions, these part of our lives, part of our bodies, our health, everything from God's perspective. Even if we talk about the stewardship of our bodies when it comes to our health and how we treat it and how we use the body that he's given to us, it's a stewardship of it because God is the creator and we are living in response to what he has made. So sex was created for the glory of God primarily, just like everything else in creation. If we ask, why were the birds created? Why do birds sing? Why do, uh, why are, why do the trees change, the leaves change color in the fall? Why do they fall? Why do they come back? Why do flowers bloom? Why did God create sexual intimacy? He created it for his glory. Yes, he created it for his glory. Glory primarily, number one, above all. And secondarily for some of these, intimacy between a husband and a wife. To produce offspring, which we've already talked about as well, all these things. And to create in us a gratitude for the gift that is from God. Do you think about sex as a gift from God? Or is it something that you pursue just for your own pleasure, for your own sake? What is your, what is your view on this topic? Have you been tainted 
by previous views, by, by how you grew up, and things that influenced your thinking about this. So God wrote a recipe. There's all kinds of magazines out there that have all kinds of nasty titles in them and things. And they talk about really good, we'll call it intimacy for the sake of the word, but we'll talk about really good intimacy, right? They, pro they promise these things to people that read their magazines whether they be women's magazines or men's magazines. This topic is constantly at the forefront of, of life. God wrote a recipe for mind-blowing intimacy. But man has traded it for an illusion of pleasure that is cheap, devoid of love, animalistic at best, and self-serving at its core. Here's my perception of God's recipe. One virgin man, one virgin woman, and one covenant. God in the midst, working in all of that. But imagine the beauty of what God had created in Adam and Eve and what he desires even for us. And that if we would obey, we have the slightest of possibilities to be blessed in the way that he desires for us to be blessed. He so desired to bless you. He so desired to unite you with your spouse that his design was that you would never have touched another whether you're a man or a woman, that on the first night after your marriage, you would touch each other for the first time. You would kiss each other for the first time. That sounds so crazy and so outdated. But it is the very, very, very best that God offered. We have probably in this room, the majority of us, traded it and defrauded ourselves, and defrauded our, our spouses by choosing less. Because he wanted to so glue you together as husband and wife that he wanted you to come to this impurity so that when you were together, you would know no other. You would learn to know each other. And hence the word, and Adam knew Eve. That's God's design, that we would know our spouse, just like he desires for us to know him. And he made it that way so that nothing could tear it apart. But we have brought the shame into it. We have perverted the beauty that God made. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that God had intended for us. Now, many of us, again, we came into life. Maybe you never heard anybody even talk about that, that beautiful aspect of what God wanted to bless you with. Maybe all you ever heard was the cheap, 
version that you could get, the counterfeit version that you could have. Maybe you were encouraged to go pursue the counterfeit version. But all the while, God had already created the very best and, and, and was offering it to you and, and desires to bless you with it. And so I'm talking to you right now. If you're here and you're not married and you still have time to approach that beautiful place and that beautiful blessing that God has for you, there's still time. And if you've already messed up, then repent. Turn to the Lord. Ask him to heal. The beautiful thing about God is that he can make beauty from ashes. And he can still bless even after we've made it a mess. But do you know that the Father's heart is for the very, 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 very best for you? To really bless you and to unite you with your spouse that God would give you. So his view is from his perspective. I've made you. I've made your body parts. I created these parts for pleasure, for good, for reproduction. It is not hidden in the scripture. It's all over the place. We see in the scripture, we see what happens when we take it out of context. Within this context of marriage, he's going to pour out his blessing. In that context, in marriage, God is there to bless your intimacy with your spouse. God is there to pour out his blessing upon it. So even if you messed up before, when you get married, God pours out his blessing in this sphere, in this one place. That's where he pours out his blessing. Everything outside of that is not blessed. And if it's not blessed, it's, thank you, sister. If it's not blessed, it's cursed. But he wants to bless you. He made you to be blessed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, because you have made us, Lord. Your word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, Lord. Lord, that you had the very best intention for us, Lord, and that we spoiled it. But through Christ, Lord, we can be redeemed. And if we live in wisdom now, we can experience your blessing, Lord. And so, Father, I pray for us, for those who are here who are followers of Christ, that we would walk in a way that honors you, Lord, and honors the blessing that you've given to us, Lord. That those who are of, of, us, of us who are married, Lord, that we would honor our spouses, Lord. That we would not defraud them, Lord, of anything that you have made only for them. The words that we would speak, the words of love and affection, the words of flirtation, that they would only be spoken to one another, God. That we would guard the embraces that you have given to us, Lord, to share with them, with that other spouse alone, God. Oh, Lord, guard our hearts and our minds, Lord, in this adulterous generation that we live in that lifts up immorality, Lord, as if it was a banner of pride. Something to be proud about. Oh, God, have mercy on us. 
Have mercy on them, Lord. Rescue them, Lord, from that lost thinking, Lord. I pray for the young people who are here, the single people, Lord, who are in this world that is bombarding us constantly, Lord, never ending, never stopping, 24-7, 365 garbage. Oh, Lord, give them a desire, Father, to guard their hearts and their minds, Lord. Protect them, Lord. Lead them to a place, Lord, of finding their satisfaction in you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and for this time we've had together, Lord. We pray for your blessing um, over the rest of our service, Lord, over the taking of the Lord's table. May we approach you, Lord, with gratitude and thanksgiving, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.ChristComChurch.org. That's ChristComChurchCOM.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage.